0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello everyone, I am Rick Thomas and thank you so much for joining me for a little Life Over Coffee. I'm very glad that you are here. I had a lady write in, and she was talking about the trouble that she was having with loneliness, and she was reading one of our articles, and she was struggling with the content, and she asked if I would clarify uh, what I meant, and I thought that her question was so good that it would be worth writing an entire other article about it, because I think what she is asking, it really applies to all of us, and I'm sure that every one of us has been through a season of loneliness in our lives. Some of you may be going through that season right now, and if you are, I I trust that you would just hang on for a few minutes, or maybe you know somebody who is lonely, and that you would share this with them, because there are seasons in our lives, and I've had one of those seasons, I've had multiple seasons like that. In fact, I think my entire childhood was was lonely uh, to a significant degree because of the chaos that was in our home. And many of you have had that experience, and so there can be this tension about being alone and wanting somebody, uh, and you could want, some, want someone so much uh, it can become a controlling idolatry in your life. And so we can always cross those lines from desiring a relationship to where uh, we need that relationship relationship so much that it, it really just amps up the soul noise. And and so this lady is struggling. In fact, she, she wrote it this way. I'm going to share with you part of what she wrote to me. Uh, but I titled what I'm sharing with you uh, part of what she said. Here's the title. I want more than God. I want someone to love. I appreciate the candor. I appreciate the directness Appreciate the clarity, and she wants a clear response. and And I agree with her. By the way, uh, there's a lot that she's saying here, but I also want to add to what she's saying because we shouldn't take things so narrowly. Uh, we want to to think in a plenary way about relationships, community, loneliness. In this case, and so I hope that I can not only affirm her desires, uh, but expand her understanding so that she can. Be Be free from this tension that she has in her soul. To say that God is all you need, it reduces your life to a a you and God silo, which may sound nice to your ears, especially if you're prone to spiritualize everything while not factoring in reality. But spiritualized sloganeering typically fails the eye test in real-world dynamics. To say that all you need is God alone, well, yeah, there's some truth to that statement. Uh, But again, we can't, we, we shouldn't look at most things in the Bible through such a narrow lens. For example, you must have friends. If your aim is to live out the grander purposes of the gospel, I mean, the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. I mean, how can you not have friends? How can you honor the two great commandments? How can you live outside of human relationship and companionship and adhere to loving God and loving others? And so we have two truths here, and in this lady's mind, these two truths are, they're in conflict with each other. You should be fully satisfied in God alone. In her mind, that's creating a God in me silo that really exempts relationships but that's failing the eye test for her because she's thinking that, well, uh, I should have relationships. I should have friends too. And so I am saying yes to both of those things. And so how can you resolve this tension? You should be fully satisfied in God alone, and you must Have relationships so that you are not lonely. Well, I want to talk about that. And if you do want to read the article, if you want to watch the video or listen to the podcast, again, just look for this this stark, desperate title, I Want More Than God. I Want Someone to Love. Now, I'm going to share with you what she wrote in, and then I'm going to start Hopefully, filling that out in such a way that it will be beneficial to you, especially if you're going through a lonely season. But also, if you know someone who is lonely, I pray that you would take this resource in either way that we produce it, read, watch, or listen, and that you would share it with your lonely friend and then stay with them encourage them so they can get out of that funk. It's not always easy. And again, I've been in those lonely funks, and I wish it was as simple as flipping on a light switch, but most of these types of problems aren't. But before I get into what she wrote and my response to her, I do want to share with you a note that was sent in by April. I don't know April, but uh, she wrote a note, and I want to share it with you for two reasons. One, I want to encourage you, and and then two, I want you to see uh, what God is doing through Life Over Coffee. That is a question that people ask from time to time, and it seems, in my view anyway, the best way to, uh, to let people know what God is doing through this ministry is just read what people write into us. And so April said this, I cannot say enough about this ministry. The podcast have helped me so much with a biblical understanding of how to navigate through circumstances, which have been new giants in my life, with the ultimate goal of glorifying God, practical self-examining, as my perspective is not always accurate, and faith-building growing. Job said to his wife, not verbatim, April says, Should we only accept the good from God and not accept the bad trials and tribulations? I have real hope and peace through the tsunamis in my life. April, if you are listening to this, thank you so much for your kind words. Thank you. Uh, You you have answered my two questions. You have encouraged me, or my two aims here. I am encouraged and, and I'm able to see. Uh, what God is doing through this ministry by you writing that. And now I'm passing this along to thousands of other people because I want them to know as well. By the way, if you are able to support our ministry because we give our resources away, we have to be underwritten somehow, some way. And so we ask people only if they are able to make a one-time donation or to uh, support on a regular basis. You can find that information on our website and if you need to if you need more information just reach out to us and ask and we would love uh, to respond to you because we need people to underwrite there's a about a dozen of us that are working together, and we work long and hard hours to produce free content. And again, we can't do it without our financial partners. This would not happen without you all. And so if you're able, if you're not, uh, the way that you can support this ministry is by praying for this ministry and asking God to bring people who are they're at a financial place to where they can help underwrite so that we can continue to reach people like April here, and I would appreciate your prayers. All right, so I want to talk about this idea that I've titled, I Want More Than God. I Want Someone to Love. Now, this is what, this is part of what the lady wrote in. She said, Rick, you say we need to be fully satisfied with God alone. Yet even Adam, in a perfect world, who had an ideal relationship with the Creator, he received a helper because it was not good for him to be alone. She's referring to Genesis 2.18. Jesus had Peter and James and John. He also had Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But yeah, you tell me I must find satisfaction in God alone. Could you help me understand this? Now, this lady is referring to, she read me somewhere where I said this, and this is what she's responding to. I said, quote, the thing you believe you need will control you, and you'll know what controls you by how you respond to life situations, or more specifically, to the difficult people in your life. Whatever controls you, you're saying that you need something from that thing or from that person. For example, when I sin against my wife, I need whatever I'm mad about. Like, I need for her to love me in a particular way. I need for her to appreciate me. I need for her to respect me. I I need for her to approve me. All of those things are basically the same. It's just different ways of saying similar things. But if she's not doing that, then I want it so much that I'm going to manipulate it out of her. Therefore, she is controlling me. She can withhold those things and now she's managing me like a puppet on a string. She has control of me because she has something that I want, which goes back to my premise that whatever it is you believe you need, well, if you don't get that thing, you can respond sinfully to it. If those things are where i focus my this is me the quote that she's continuing to read i'm saying that if those things are where i focus my heart then not getting those things will cause me to respond sinfully as i have described however with a mind oriented toward god and fully satisfied in him and this is what she was really hanging on if i'm fully satisfied with him then her behavior, good or bad, my situation, good or bad, whatever my life situation is, it won't have control over me. If anyone other than God controls me, then I'm stuck in idolatry. Ironically, the person that I need, at least in that moment, in this case my wife, God is using her to reveal an idolatry in my life. Yes, God can use sin sinlessly. If you sin due to unmet needs or expectations from another person, be sure to know. Sovereign God is working for you, calling you to repentance. Now, that's what she was reading, and so she's struggling with loneliness, and loneliness and being alone has begun taking a control over her. And then she reads something that I write that says, You should be so fully satisfied in God alone that nothing else should manage your emotions and manage your thoughts. Nothing else should have control over you because you're fully satisfied in God alone, and He is controlling you. Now, I want to say... That our member has a point. I agree with her. And this is where I think it's helpful when we get into these points of tension that we recognize that in some cases two things can be true at the same time. And so I am saying that there are two things that are true at the same time, and they should not be in tension, but they are in tension with her. And those two things are, you should be fully satisfied in God alone, and you should be in relationship with other people I do not see a tension there, but the reason that I don't see a tension there is because of my presupposition, because of my starting point, or because of my interpretive filter. A presupposition is like a lens. It's like these glasses that I'm wearing. It is a lens. I look through those glasses, and I do not see a tension out here. She has a different interpretive filter. She has a different presupposition. So when she hears you should be satisfied in God alone, she can't get this square peg into a round hole, this square peg of living in relationship. And so what she is hearing me say is that you need to be satisfied in God alone and stop complaining about being alone relationally from other people. Now, I am very glad uh, that she is writing in and saying that because I have no control or management how people read my content, and I am I'm not so arrogant to believe that I write with perfect clarity every time, and a thousand people with a thousand presuppositional filters are going to read it the way that I intended it, and so thank God that she had enough humility. Uh, to write in and and say rick i'm struggling with this will you help me and so let's walk through it now the text of scripture that she is pointing to it's genesis 218. i would imagine that all of you or for me or with this passage of scripture i'm going to read it to you now just in case you're not this is a a pivotal passage of scripture in the human family uh, because this is how the human family came about in 218 uh the Bible says, then the then the Lord God said, quote, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, when she reads this, she uses the word alone in this text. It's not good for the man to be alone. She's reading that differently from what I meant. She is coming at this text. It's not good for man to be alone from a a social perspective. It's not good for Adam to be by himself. It's not good for Adam to be without a human relationship socially. And then she also referenced Jesus. She said Jesus was not socially alone because he had friends. I mean, he had Peter and James and John. He had Mary and Martha and and, and Lazarus. Socially alone in a fallen world is a problem, and, and that's why I would not want her to be social, socially alone, but, but what she's hearing from me is like, I am saying that, and I'm saying I'm not. Adam didn't live in a fallen world. Adam was not socially alone. You see, she's reading back in the text through a, a fallen world filter and thinking being socially alone without any other human being. That would be so hard. And like, please do not relegate me to a socially lone, lonely environment. I mean, that's how we punish people. We call it solitary confinement. Well, Adam was living in solitary confinement. But Adam was not living in a fallen world. He was not depraved. He he lived in a perfect world, a world without sin. And he was a human without sin. And so it is a fallen person, my friend, who is like me, fallen, reading through a fallen presupposition, reading into Adam's world, that text, 2.18. You see, the fall of humanity didn't happen until the next page. Genesis 3.6, Adam was not dissatisfied with God. He was fully satisfied with God alone. You could say that God was enough for Adam. By the way, for the record, Adam never said that he needed anything. You remember when I read that sentence? Genesis 2.18, God is the one that said it's not good for Adam to be alone. The Lord did not create Eve because Adam was complaining about being socially alone. Adam was fine. He was living large. God determined how things should be. Adam was just rolling along with God's creative work. You want to create a woman? Yay! Create a what? Woman? I don't know what that is to assume that Adam was dissatisfied without companionship is reading into the text which could prematurely bring sin into the Genesis narrative when sin didn't come to the Genesis narrative as I said until Genesis 3:6 and this is what the lady is doing unwittingly the lord did not say that he was that he was not enough for Adam So he must have someone else. No, God was satisfied with Adam alone. Adam was satisfied with God alone. Adam could have lived forever with God alone because he was fully satisfied with the Lord. God does have a way of satisfying us. If I had been spiritually satisfied with God alone, I would not have messed up my social relationship with my wife. If I had been fully satisfied with God alone, meaning I'm living in His love, His acceptance, His approval his appreciation, his respect, if I were living in that, spiritually satisfied in God alone, I would not have been demanding those things from my wife. I would not have been so demanding in our covenantal social construct. But in the moment of my anger, I was not satisfied spiritually with God alone. My sin was revealing Momentary brokenness in my relationship with God. I needed something from my wife to keep me happy. I was saying, in essence, if you love me rightly, I will not sin against you. Do you see the spiritual problem that my attitude implied? I mean, basically, I'm saying to keep me from sinning, woman, I need for you to love me. I need for you to respect me. That is heresy. All I should need is God alone to keep me from sinning. I don't need God and my wife to keep me from sinning. I am fully satisfied with God alone. That perspective is like the crack addict saying, I need God and I need my drug fix too. If I have both, I will be okay. No, all you need is God alone, and you will be okay. One way to discover the strength of a person's relationship with God and their satisfaction in Him alone is by how much grumbling and demanding that they do, like the crack addict, for example. And Christians can be like crack addicts. I need God, and I need this too. I will be happy. But then you could say, Rick, does, it, does this lady have a point at all? No, she has a point. But again, as I was saying earlier, her presupposition and mine are different. And so I want to share my presupposition and why I look at these two things, satisfied in God alone, and we must live in relationship with others as not being intentioned because she brings up a point, and I don't want to dismiss it. There is a difference between spiritual and social satisfaction. Though Jesus was satisfied spiritually with his father, there was a social component to his life, making how you and how I th- Think about social relationships, the second part of this discussion, vital. You see, out of the overflow of your spiritual satisfaction, your spiritual contentment in God, comes a divine purpose for social connections. Though Adam was not lonely, God knew that by giving him a social mate was good, there were many reasons for this creative act. So Adam was fully satisfied in God alone, but there were reasons, not for satisfaction purposes necessarily, but there are utilitarian and functional reasons that Adam can't be alone. For example, marriage, you can't be alone, a complimentary mate. The ability to accomplish things. Lucia and I can have accomplished way more than I could ever accomplish alone. Reproduction, of course. Friendship is wonderful. And modeling Christ in the church. How can I do that alone? All of these are good reasons to socialize. And so you can't do any of those things without someone. It's not good to be alone if you have functional reasons for relationship. Because the Lord made us in His image, reflecting Him well is impossible if we're not in social context. God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we need community to benefit from the full measure of what it means to image our creator. To desire social constructs as this lady does. Is, is to live out the practical realities of how God made us. Adam was spiritually full. But God created a woman that opened his eyes to never previously considered social possibilities. Spiritual satisfaction. Social possibilities. Every human after Adam intuitively knows that friendship and companionship are God ordained desires. The young man or woman who longs to marry is acting out typical, expected, and sound desires. Conversely, don't you think it would be problematic for a person to crave to be alone? I want to be alone. I want to be by myself. In fact, we say that that person is antisocial, an aspect of fallenness, an aspect of fallenness that is not God's intended design. To be antisocial, to dismiss the social aspects of our lives, is really dismissing how God designed us as social creatures. But we run afoul when we take these social desires for companionship and turn them into needs. It's an inversion that controls us. And that is exactly what I was describing with my illustration with my wife. I need you to satisfy me because God obviously is not. That's where I take the social possibilities of a relationship and bring it in to being satisfied spiritually, and only God can satisfy us spiritually, fully, alone. Though it is possible to live without social relationships, it's not something that we should desire. But if you flip that excellent desire for social companionship into a need, as I was doing— then you're placing yourself in a position where that need will control you if you do not get it, as I have illustrated. It can become an idol, something that we want to examine to see if our desires have have morphed to have that kind of power over us because there is something lacking in our spiritual relationship with God. The best test to discern between needs and desires is how you respond when you don't get what you want. Of course, there will be seasons when you do not receive what you want, but the person who is spiritually satisfied in God alone will persevere through those times of unmet social longings. The assumption is, of course, that they won't stay in that condition forever. Now, you know, some believers will hammer the need versus desire nail into obliteration in their elementary understanding and penchant for making hyperbolic points. But this overreach to bang home a point of needs and desires, that is dangerous. Perhaps you will hear them say, God is all you need. Well, of course, these are folks who have socially satisfying relationships, If their spouses were to leave them or if they were to lose a child, they would sing another tune. I have lived in abysmal loneliness, as I mentioned earlier, and it did not image our Trinitarian God. It was not good for my sad, socially longing soul. My point is is that we must not let any situation control us, even those seasons of loneliness Of course, the extreme is we don't go to the other extreme and into flagellation and vows of poverty and the monastic lifestyle. Those are not our highest aims. And so somewhere between the monastic lifestyle, and I'm just pursuing this antisocial behavior, and these seasons of loneliness, there is a center space here for social relationships that are good for very real and purposeful objectives. And though we should find God or Christ satisfying strength in any situation, even seasons of loneliness, we also want a robust theology of social relationships. We we want to understand the purposes of social relationships and to imbibe social relationships. Christ can power us through seasons of absence, times of despair, momentary uh, seasons of relational discontentment, knowing that it's not best to stay there. God has a higher calling on our lives that we will not fulfill without people in our lives. And so while we must not come under the controlling power of any circumstance, including loneliness— Per Paul's advice in Philippians 4, 11, 12, and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is human to crave a better relationship, social status. I mentioned a few reasons to desire companionship earlier. I talked about marriage and procreation and imaging the Trinity and modeling Christ in the church. We can't do any of these things without other people. Thus, the first purpose of desiring a relationship is accomplishing something that we cannot do alone. That is the reason that we crave, So that should be the primary reason that we crave social relationships. The key to relationships is to make sure that we understand this presupposition. You see, Jesus did not need people to feel some spiritual void in his life. Adam did not need people to feel some spiritual void in his life. Jesus was fully satisfied with God alone. Adam was fully satisfied with God alone. Jesus and Adam, and I'll I'll say needed relationships, because of what they could accomplish with them, not to meet the spiritual fullness that we have in Christ alone. Do you see the essential purpose and direction of companionship? The pursuit of friendship is not to meet a desperate need in us. We are fully satisfied in Christ alone. But we want friends so that we can adequately glorify God in his world to to, to bring it down into four words love God and love others we don't want friendships primarily to to spiritually satisfy us God can do that alone we want friendships to honor the two great commandments, to fulfill the aims of the two great commandments of loving God and others well. If our aim for marriage, or if our aim for objective for friendship is to fill our cups, then we will use people while becoming relational addicts. But suppose we see people as an opportunity to love them more effectively. I want relationships because I want to love others. In that case, we will expand God's relational purposes while passively benefiting from our other centers, other-centered initiatives. And it's important that you understand that. You can receive relational fulfillment and satisfaction, but not by trying to make that your first objective. That's a path to narcissism. It's a path to using people. There is a side effect. There is a passive benefit to having gospel-motivated, initiative, relational actions that move away from us loving God and loving others the most. The gospel demands that we have friends for the right reasons. The gospel is about going to others, being Jesus to them. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament that support this claim. The Bible is a friendship book for friendly people. We should have friends because God is a friendly God. I hope you always crave friendships and pursue them for the right reasons. I trust your friends see you as an example of someone who knows what a biblical relationship should be, and they follow your lead. Too many people in our world use others for narcissistic reasons. May the gospel constantly fuel you in other-centered activities. If you do these things well, you will be that beneficiary that I was talking about. Please do not miss the point. It's inaccurate to say you should love others with no expectation of anything in return. That used to be a mantra back in the 80s and 90s, and you would see it bandied about, cliche-like. You should love others with no expectation of anything in return. That is wrong. There are specific personal, and social benefits if you love people well. Everyone won't love you back, but many people will. And though your first goal is not to get something from them, you should expect the good Lord to honor your gospel-motivated endeavors by filling you up with friends and memories that will always keep a smile on your face. The cure for loneliness is to go and make disciples or to go and make friends with others for God's fame and for their benefit. And oh, guess what? You won't be lonely. I title this, I, I Want More Than God. I Want Someone to Love. You can have both to be biblically centered You have to have both. You want to be spiritually satisfied in God alone to where all of your spiritual desires are met in God alone. Therefore, you're not craving these things and demanding these things and sinfully becoming angry, as I've illustrated, to gain these things from other people because you're fully satisfied in God. And then you want to, with the right reasons, to go out and make disciples to go out and make friends you want to love god and love others and so there's the spiritual dynamic of full satisfaction in christ and there are the social expectations of the gospel and if you fulfill those social expectations of the gospel you won't be alone let me wrap up with a couple of questions number one do you make friends for what you can get out of them most of all or for what you can pour into them why did you answer that way? And what does your answer reveal about your theology of friendships? Number two, what have been some of the passive benefits of loving others? Your goal was to bless, not be blessed. But God rewarded you for your gospel-centered attitude. This would be a great conversation to have, especially if you're married. You do receive the passive benefits of your gospel Active voice initiation toward others. Number three, what kind of person would you become if you only saw friendships as opportunities for you to get something from them? That's a discussion worth having as well. Number four, have you ever been in a place of loneliness? How did the Lord sustain you through those moments of being alone? What did that season reveal about your relationship with God? In my seasons of loneliness, it did reveal that there is a lacking in my satisfaction in God alone. Number five, are you one of those all-you-need-is-God persons? If you are one of those persons, why do you believe such a notion how and why do you need to change your perspective? And I would appeal to you to change that perspective. All you need is God alone to be spiritually satisfying. And then, out of the flow of that, the overflow of that satisfaction, you want to meet the, the, the biblical expectations of going and making friends. I want more than God, I want someone to love. I hope that both are your portion. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.